everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to subscribe to our Journey Callaway YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you right there. So what do you do when everything around you is a mess and it feels like God's nowhere to be found? I mean, what do you do when it feels like your life's falling apart, your nation's coming apart? God seems absent from it all. That's what we're going to talk about on this episode, Journey at Home. Thanks for joining me today. We are wrapping up this series we've been in with a story that will hit close to home for a lot of us, I think. It's a story of a woman whose life was filled with trouble and filled with tragedy. It's a story of a family who had every reason to believe God had abandoned them. It's a story that happens during a period in the nation of Israel's history when the nation had abandoned God completely. You may remember if you've been tracking with us, we began the series with a tragic, heartbreaking, R-rated story This summarizes what the nation of Israel was like for a 330-year period between the time their leader Joshua dies and when their first king Saul takes the throne. During this span of time, the nation was supposed to follow God's leadership. That was the plan. And they had judges who served to help them understand what God wanted them to do. But the problem was, well, the nation was a lot like us. They didn't like being told what to do. You know, there's something in all of us that wants to do what we want, when we want, with whom we want. And then, because we're nice Americans, we say, well, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Well, that was kind of the mentality in Israel during this 330-year period. And the last sentence in the historical record we call Judges, it sums up this period pretty well. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So there was no authority that people respected or heeded. Everybody just decided for themselves what they thought was right, and they formed their own truth. They did what they wanted, when they wanted, with whom they wanted. And I think if we're honest, we have to admit there's a little bit of that in all of us, isn't there? The problem is when you live this way, well, you miss the extraordinary that God created you to experience. And that's exactly what was happening to the Jewish people. But here's what was so amazing. God decided that he was going to use those people whether they wanted to follow him or not. It was almost like God went, you can work with me or you can watch me work, but either way I'm going to fulfill my purposes and I'm going to keep my promises. And that's what he did. So in spite of the fact that the nation had abandoned God, God kept working in and through the nation. In the middle of this dark period in history when everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes, the reality was God wasn't absent. He was extremely active. And as you're going to see today, he was actually preparing, he was decorating for the very first Christmas. And to do that, he used three very interesting people. He used a Jewish woman who was so angry and bitter towards God that she accused God of abandoning her. He used a Moabite woman who had grown up knowing nothing about God. And he used a Jewish man who, in spite of all the chaos and all the rebellion in the land, he never gave up on believing in and following God. Three very different people, but God used them all to set the stage for the Christmas that we're celebrating now. Their story is found in a short ancient Old Testament document that we call Ruth. And the story of Ruth happens during the time of these judges that we've been talking about. And quite honestly, it's like the one bright spot, the one flicker of light in the middle of darkness. 
So the story of Ruth begins this way. It tells us that in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So things were going even worse than they had been, which gave people just one more reason to believe that God had abandoned them. And then it tells us in the story that a man from Bethlehem in Judah, you know, the very town where Jesus would eventually be born, that this man together with his wife and his two sons, they went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, Moab was a country just east of Israel. It was on the other side of the Dead Sea. Uh, the man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. He had, they had two sons, Malin and Kilian. Uh, so Elimelech and Naomi decide they're just going to take their sons. They're going to move over to Moab. There's not enough food in Israel for them to survive. Apparently it was better in the land of Moab. So they do, and they settle there, and they end up staying there a long time. Eventually both their sons marry Moabite women. But then after a while, everything starts to unravel. Uh, Elimelech dies. Then about 10 years after that, both of Naomi's sons die. So now it's just Naomi, her two Moabite daughters-in-laws, and Naomi's thinking to, him, to herself, man, there, there's no point in me staying here. I've got nobody. I've got no support. And from Naomi's point of view, it was like God had cursed her. You know, he was against her. So she decides, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. But she looks at her daughters-in-law and says, both of you just stay here. I mean, it's too dangerous for you to come back to Israel with me. You'll be a foreign woman in a land where you've got no protection. Just stay here with your family, remarry, enjoy your life. Basically, Naomi was like, don't let me drag you down. And one of these women does just that. But the other one, well, the other one refuses to stay in Moab and abandon Naomi. And her name was Ruth. She insists to inspire the danger. She is not going to leave. As a matter of fact, her response to Naomi was this. She said, well, where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I'll stay. Your people, they're going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. Where you die, I'm going to die. There I'll be buried. It was a pretty courageous, selfless, and you might even call it irrational kind of loyalty that Ruth showed to her. So Ruth and Naomi take off. They survive the trip back to Bethlehem. Then when they get there, well, the people there are stunned. They're like, is that you, Naomi? They hadn't seen her for years and years and years. And you get a little insight into how Naomi feels at the moment because she looks at him and says, ah, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Now, Mara in their culture meant bitter. So she basically is like, hey, just call me bitter because that's what I am. The, all the almighty God, he's made my life really bitter. And she basically tells him, you know, I went away full. I went away with a family. God's brought me back empty. So I... He's afflicted me. The Lord's brought misfortune on me. You know, it's all his fault. I'm done. This was Naomi's thought. She had lost all hope in God. She felt like God had abandoned her. They wasn't listening to her prayers. From Naomi's point of view, God just wasn't paying attention to her life anymore. And as far as she was concerned, God clearly didn't care about her. If he did, I mean, well, none of that would have happened, right? In a way, Naomi's attitude and her perspective, it's a bit of a microcosm of how the entire nation of Israel was feeling and acting at the time. But here's the thing. At the very moment when Naomi thought God had abandoned her, God had actually placed her at the very epicenter of his activity. She just couldn't see it. But eventually it was going to be clear. So here's how the story goes on. Once Naomi and Ruth get back to Bethlehem, Problem is, they're poor. They have no way to feed or support themselves. So Ruth does this incredibly humbling thing. It was the time for the barley harvest at the moment. So she decides she's going to get up early every morning, go out into the fields, and start picking up the leftover barley that the farmers 
you know, wouldn't get as they harvested. And she realizes if she can gather enough leftover barley every day, well, it'll keep her mother-in-law and her alive. Now, it just so happens that the field that she picks belongs to a man named Boaz. And Boaz has already heard about this Moabite woman who decided to risk everything to come back with Naomi. So when he discovers Ruth in the field, well, he wants to meet her. He calls for her, and then he basically tells her, hey, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law you know, since the death of your husband. I, I've heard about how you left your father, your mother, your homeland. You came to live with a people that you didn't know before. And then he makes this statement to her. He says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, the reason I think that's striking is because Boaz is basically saying, in spite of what most people in my nation believe, I'm still confident there's a God, a God who honors those who are faithful and a God who honors those who are obedient. I believe there's a God who rewards those who do what's right. And I'm certain, Ruth, that he sees you and he's going to be with you. And then he tells Ruth, you just stay in my fields every day. You take as much barley as you want. Well, to make a long story short, time passes. Boaz ends up making the decision to marry Ruth, which was not a convenient or expedient decision in their culture. By marrying her, and I won't go into all the details, but he was basically putting his fortune and his future at risk. But he respects Ruth so much that he's willing to put everything that he has on the line to marry her, to provide for her. And that could have been the end of the story, but it wasn't. Boaz and Ruth have a son, and they named that son Obed. Some crazy names, isn't it? Now, Naomi, think about this. The woman who is so bitter, so certain God had abandoned her, Naomi gets to hold in her arms a grandson that she thought she was never going to see. Well, Obed grows up. He has a son named Jesse. Jesse grows up. He has a son named David. Oh, yeah, that David. The David who would become Israel's second and arguably greatest king. The same David who was promised by God that one day the Messiah was going to come from his family line. And sure enough, David has a son who has a son. If you trace down the line, 25 pregnancies later, Matthew tells us that Joseph was born. And then Joseph grew up and had a son with Mary, who they named Jesus, who was God in human flesh. So just when Naomi, just when so many of the Jewish people believed God had left them, just when they thought God had abandoned them, No, God was actually most active among them. He was preparing for, he was decorating for Christmas through the life and the events of Naomi and Boaz and Ruth. And you remember the Christmas story. We're celebrating it this week. When Mary had her child, nobody believed it was an ordinary birth. The shepherds who showed up at the bedside of baby Jesus, well, they'd been told directly by angels, this is the Savior you've been waiting for. The wise men showed up a little later, and you remember what they asked? They said, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose. We've come to worship him. I mean, these wise men were convinced this was way more than a baby. This was a king. Think about that. A king who was worthy of their worship, even as an infant. King Herod believed this baby was a king, so he did everything he could to kill him. And sure enough, they were all right because Jesus grew up, and he proved he was exactly who he said he was. He proved he was a king through his death and his resurrection, but not not a king like people are used to seeing. He was a king who came to reverse the order of things. He was a king who flipped everything 
and leveraged his power for the powerless. He was a king who didn't ask his people to die for him. No, he died for his people. Jesus was a king who invites you and me to have a relationship with him, to join his family, to pursue his purposes together with him. And here's the thing I don't want you to miss as we celebrate Christmas. In a single decision, this is the whole point of Christmas, in a single decision, you can become part of the story and the family of Jesus, the king who reversed the order of everything. In a single decision, you can have a personal relationship with him. In a single decision, you can be forgiven and freed to live the way you were created to live. So, as we close, I want to invite you to consider doing something that maybe you've never done before. Instead of doing what you want to do, when you want to do it, with whom you want to do it, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, instead of that being your perspective on life, would you instead recognize Jesus as the king who really is worth following? Would you accept his forgiveness and his invitation to be part of his family? Would you open up your life to his unconditional love and his acceptance and his leadership? For some of you, would you come back to the king who gave everything for you? Now, here's the thing. Unlike every other king, you got to know Jesus will not force you to submit to him. He invites you to submit. He invites you to do what's right in God's eye and not your own. But it's up to you. So, if you want to do that for the first time, or maybe you want to come back after you've been running away for a long time, I want to invite you right now to pray a very simple prayer with me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus is the king who came to change everything. I believe that when he died, he died for me, he took my sin. So I accept your forgiveness for my rebellion. Now Jesus, open my eyes so I can see the world the way you see it. Open my eyes so I can see myself the way you see me. And give me the wisdom and the courage to know what to do from this day forward as I follow you. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know about it. Can't think of a better time for you to make that decision. We'd love to celebrate with you. You can go to nextatjourney.online, nextatjourney.online. Just let us know you made that decision. And for all of you, I hope you have an extraordinary Christmas this year as we celebrate the King who came to change everything. Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey Calway app to access all of our recent message content. And our app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. For more information on our church, be sure to visit journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Thanks for listening.